<clears throat> so, so much for all that. Let's turn to the Word, and I want to read from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And um, as we broke bread, we remember that in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus says, this is my body which is broken for you. My body which is broken for you. And uh, all of what we have is as a result of Jesus being broken for us on that cross of Calvary. As, uh, as his body was broken, healing and, uh, and forgiveness and grace flowed forth from his brokenness. And the problem is that as Christians we appreciate what came out of the brokenness of the Lord Jesus but we don't appreciate brokenness in our own lives. We live in a, in a world in which we want to be successful and victorious and overcoming and, uh, and be positive about who we are and all of those kinds of things. And so this has affected our theology. And so in most churches, most Christians, uh, it's a very positive message. Now, the message of brokenness, and don't switch off because of the... Me the message of brokenness is a very, very positive message. You see, the, the principle is simply that as long as I remain unbroken, well, then it's just me. Just think about the Lord Jesus. As long as He was not broken for us at the cross of Calvary, it was just Him. But when He got, was broken, that brokenness reached out to all of us and included us into the family of God. And when we remain unbroken, well, it's just me. And whatever I can do in my pride and in my self-sufficiency, I am able to do. But when we become broken before God, that's when God is able to step in. And He is able to work in us and through us. And His power becomes manifest in our lives. And I would rather have God's power than mine. Because His power is just a little bit more, a little bit stronger than, than mine. So let's read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to read from 7 through 15, and then I'm going to come back to this passage a little bit later on. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore we speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to take you through uh, a number of scriptures and a number of experiences. And uh, as I said earlier, we preach topic, uh, we preach expository, uh, verse by verse through the Bible. Um, so the only times I get an opportunity to preach topically is when I'm away from home. Um, and so I'm going to take that opportunity. But I've, I've also realized that I uh, have become a little bit rusty as far as topical preaching is concerned. So, so forgive me. So let's begin with, 
with Moses. Moses was schooled, the scripture says, in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were a very intelligent and articulate people, and we still marvel at the construction works and the, and the great things that the Egyptians were able to do at that time. And Moses was there at the height of Egypt's glory. And so he is the prime minister of the country. He is uh, a, a very powerful man. Uh, he is raised as a prince uh, in Pharaoh's house. And he is called by God to deliver the people of Israel. The problem is that God could not use him when he was 40 years old because he had become a great man in the flesh. But God cannot use people in the flesh. And so God takes him to the desert, and for 40 years, God breaks Moses. It took a long time. And, you know, sometimes we, when we speak about brokenness, we say, well, you know, it's a once experience, you know, and it just happens and it's done. No, sometimes it takes a long, long time for God to bring to Moses' understanding that it wasn't his intelligence, it wasn't his charisma, it wasn't his contacts, it wasn't his wisdom or his training, it was only God. And, you know, at the end of that period, bro Moses comes to the point and while the, um, uh, Stephen on the day, on, on the, uh, the day of his, um, his execution uh, preaches that sermon in Acts chapter 7, uh, speaks about the wisdom of, of uh, Moses and his training, his education, Moses comes to the place and he says, I can't speak. I can't speak. Now Moses could speak. Uh, he had been trained to speak. But he says, I can't speak. I can do nothing. And when he comes to that point, God says, now I'm ready to use you. And God begins to use Moses, and Moses becomes one of the greatest, and in fact, according to Hebrew tradition, the greatest of all the prophets, the greatest of the men of God. Not only did he deliver the law, but he was also a great prophet. Then we come to Paul, one of the other great men in Scripture. And probably to the Jews, Moses is the greatest, uh, to us as Christians, probably Paul, next to Jesus, of course, uh, is the greatest. And yet we see in Paul exactly the same thing. Paul comes out of uh, seminary, as it were. Uh, he is breathing fire and brimstone. Uh, he, is, he is growing beyond his fellows, he says. And so as a young man already, uh, it seems that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. We can't be absolutely sure about that. Uh, but it does seem that he is a member of the Sanhedrin, the 70 uh, most powerful men in Judaism at that time uh, who ruled Israel, obviously under, under the Romans, uh, but as far as uh, spiritual things were concerned, uh, the most powerful and most influential men. And so he comes out of that. Uh, he is obviously a super intelligent man. There's no question about that. Uh, he is schooled in the details of the law. He has zeal beyond anything that uh, any of his fellows had. And God says, I can't use you. And he brings him to the road to Damascus. He meets the Lord Jesus at that point. And even at that point, he is not ready. And it seems that for 15 years, and we, we, don't, we, we, we lose this sometimes, but for 15 years, God put, took him aside took him into the Arabian desert, and it was there that God met with him. And slowly but surely, Paul begins to understand, it's not me. It's not what I have, or what I can do, or my knowledge, or my training, or my contacts in Judaism. It is simply the Lord. That in fact, I am nothing. That He needs to be everything. 
And that's not the end of Paul's experience. And you know, as I've been teaching through the New Testament, the thing that has struck me over and over and over is the ongoing struggle that Paul has, that, that nothing ever seems to go well for him. That he goes from one problem to the next, and one crisis to the next. And, you know, we, we look at that and we say, well, you know, I don't want that kind of life. But Paul understood that it, it wasn't about what he had in the flesh, but it was what he had in the Spirit. And so he speaks about his beatings, and he speaks about his shipwrecks, and he speaks about his imprisonments and his hungers and, and, and times of, of great difficulty and being ostracized, not only by his uh, former uh, friends in Judaism, but even being ostracized by the church uh, because the church didn't like Paul, because the church was Jewish-oriented. Uh, um, and Paul said, no, we, we, we don't get saved by becoming Jews. We become saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the vast majority of Jewish Christians rejected Paul. And even when he, at the end of his life, goes to Jerusalem, uh, he faces great opposition from the Pharisees in the church who had who'd, who'd gotten saved and were members of the church. And you remember that uh, um, James, the Lord's brother, says to Paul, well, you need to prove that you haven't denied uh, your, your roots, your, uh, your Jewish uh, ancestry. And so Paul then sponsors a, a number of brethren uh, who made a vow and he goes through the ritual to try and prove that in fact he had not gone against Israel. And so, he, so his friends turn against him. His nation, his own nation, uh, wants to kill him. And in fact he is rescued in a sense by the Romans. And then we know how he ends up in Rome. Many years of imprisonment from Jerusalem to Rome. It took several years for him to eventually get to Rome. There he's imprisoned and um, eventually he's executed. And we, we look at all of that and, and, pour, and we say, well, you know, really? Is, is that how God pays His workers? But Paul says, I rejoice in my infirmities. I rejoice in those things because when I am weak, then am I strong. Because it's not about my strength. It's about His strength. And His strength only becomes operative when we become weak. Peter was probably the most positive of all men. There was nothing Peter couldn't do. There's nothing Peter wouldn't do. Oh, Lord, you know, they all forsake you, but I, I, I'm, I've got my sword, and I'm going to be there. And you know the story. Three times he denies the Lord Jesus. And the third time Jesus turns to him, and he just looks at Peter, and Peter goes out. And Peter is broken before God. First time in Peter's experience, he is truly broken. And he, as he goes outside and he weeps before God, he realizes how weak he really is. And that's the turning point in Peter's life. You know, we look at that and we say, well, this was the lowest point in Peter's life. But, you know, that was the turning point. Because when Jesus meets him at the, uh, at the beach on, uh, uh, in, in uh, John chapter 21 for breakfast, you remember they've been fishing all night, they caught nothing, and the Lord Jesus is there on the shore, and they, and they have breakfast together. The Lord Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And I'm sure you, you know, Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you have a divine love for me? And the old Peter would say, is the Pope a Catholic? 
What a question. Of course I love you, Lord. But what does Peter say? I have an affection for you. I filio you. You see, Peter would always have said, Lord, I, I, I love you more than anybody else. But Peter had looked into his own soul and he was broken before God. And so Peter says, Lord, I can't say I agape you, but I do filio you. I do have an affection for you. For the first time in Peter's life, he becomes honest about himself and honest about his relationship with the Lord Jesus. And at that point, the Lord Jesus is able to begin to use Peter. And Peter becomes uh, one of the, uh, the pillars of the church. We don't believe the church is built on Peter, but he becomes one of the pillars of the church. In the Old Testament, we have Jacob. And again, you, you know the story of Jacob, how that Jacob uh, is, uh, goes into his uh, uncle's area and he is blessed financially and he, um, uh, he, he really exceeds his uncle. Eventually he has more sheep and uh, goats and camels and things than his uncle, uncle Laban has. Um, and and he's, he is very successful. And, and remember at that point, uh, he had not yet received his inheritance which he had bought from his brother. And so, and so all of his father's possessions were still coming his way. And, and in his own right, he was already successful. He had two wives and he had many children and, 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 and life was really great as far as that was concerned. And yet he meets the Lord at that brook called Jabbok. And there he wrestles with God. And God breaks him touches him. And from that point onward, the scripture says that he, he was crippled. Now, being crippled those days was a much more serious problem than it is today, because whatever you wanted to do, you had to walk to do what you wanted to do. You, you had to move around. You, uh, they didn't have wheelchairs. They didn't have these little scooters that, that uh, handicapped people have today. Um, he had to be able to walk. But wherever he walked, he had to walk with a stick, as the Americans say, a cane. And so he's, he's hobbling on his stick. And it's a testimony to everyone that God broke him. And you know, the wonderful, the wonderful testimony of, of Jacob in Hebrews chapter 11, and sometimes we miss that, but Hebrews 11 speaks about Jacob and it says that when he died, he was worshiping, leaning on his staff. Worshiping leaning on his staff. And of course, the staff was a picture of, of the Lord. He had learnt not to lean on his own understanding, not to stand in his own strength, but to lean upon God. And it was then that God changes his name and God makes him Israel and he becomes the father of the great nation. And so you can see in the, in the history and the story of these men how that God then uses those men and can only use them when they come to the end of their own resources and they come to a place where they say, I cannot do it. I have tried. I have been successful in the flesh, but it's only been in the flesh. All of the men that I've mentioned th this far, uh, Moses and Paul and Peter and Jacob, were all successful in the flesh. And the world would look at them and say, these are great men, but God could not use them that way. He had to bring them to a place where they recognized that their strength came from the Lord and that without Him, they could do nothing. 
Now, if we come to the passage then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 <clears throat> that we, we were in, you find that Paul expresses this. And I'm not going to analyze the whole passage. I would love to do that, but that would take me a few weeks. And so he says in verse 7, but we have this treasure. And the treasure is in verse 6. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so he is saying then that God has put his light in us, and that light is the glory of God in the face or the person of Jesus. And so God has put this tremendous treasure within us of the light of the Lord, the glory of the Lord Jesus in us. But then he says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots made out of dust, not precious stones or golden vases or vases as they say where I, but stone or clay pots. And sadly, most of us are crack pots. <laughs> but he has put that treasure. For what reason? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, this is where modern Christianity misses the point. It's not about me. It's not about my achievements or my personality or what, what I'm able to do. It's about Him. And the purpose of our preaching, and this is where most modern preachers have, have really missed it, because it's not about people seeing me or thinking I'm a great preacher, and I don't care what you think about me. Uh, quite honestly, and my people in the, in the church that I serve, they know this. I don't care if you like what I preach or don't like what I preach. The only thing I'm concerned about is that you get the Word and the message of God and that He touch your heart through His Word and through His Spirit because it's not about me. And as long as it's about me, you're not going to see Jesus. You're going to see my eloquence and my skill and my ability and my, my learning or whatever, whatever I have. My grandfather was one of the great influences in my life. He was a missionary from Switzerland in uh, Lesotho in uh, southern Africa. And uh, he really ministered to me in many, many, many ways and affected my life in many ways. And he once told me a story, and in fact he published a little book, uh, hundred, I think 101 Visions or something. And uh, these are not visions in the modern sense of you know, airy-fairy stuff but they were visions that God had given him, but they all tie back to Scripture. And uh, one of these visions, and he told me the story that, that never, never left me. He says that he saw himself preaching in a church, and behind the pulpit was a, a window in the form of a cross. And that was the only light that came. There were no other windows in this church. And instead of people in the audience, there were flowers. And he said the flowers were wilting because they weren't getting light. And they weren't getting light because he was standing in the way of the light. And then he understood that he needed to step aside. And when he stepped aside, the light of the cross was able to come in and the flowers picked up their heads and they were able to grow. And so Paul understood this principle. And he said, it's not about us. 
but it's the ex- that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. But I think that when Paul speaks about the fact that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, he has something else in mind. He, he doesn't draw the connection, but he expects us to make that connection. Now, I don't know if you can remember another time when there was lights inside clay pots. And of course, this is the book of Judges. And you remember Gideon and his 300 men? They surround the Midianite army. And there's just a small, there's 20,000, if I remember right, odd Midianites. There's 300 Israelites. And they have these pots with the lamps, with the torches inside. And what had to happen? The pots had to be broken so that the lights could be exposed. And obviously that was what God used to bring great victory to Israel on that day. Um, in fact, I, I, I seem to remember, and I didn't, sorry, I didn't check it before I came, but I seem to remember that, uh, that, that uh, over 20,000 were killed on that day by those 300 Israelites. Well, it wasn't by them, it was by God. But as long as that light remained inside the pot, the victory would not come. But when they broke the pots, the light was able to come forth. And I think that that's what Paul has in mind here when he says we have this treasure, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this in earthen vessels. I think that that's what he has in mind. The vessels need to be broken that the light might shine forth. Otherwise, the light's going to be concealed by the clay pot. And folks, the same is true in our lives. Until we are broken before God, the glory of the Lord Jesus will never be revealed. We'll see the parcel. We'll see the wrapping. And we, we, we know that, that, that toddlers and young kids sometimes are more fascinated by the wrapping paper of the gift and the box than they are with the gift that's inside the box. Now, we don't want to be so enamored with the, with the wrapping or the packaging that we miss the real gift. We're just the container, but He is the treasure. And He needs to come forth. He needs to be revealed. And He is not revealed in my glory. You remember John the Baptist said that I need to decrease, He needs to increase. There's a very important principle that John understood that somehow we miss. It's not just a matter of saying, well, you know, I have 100% capacity. So I want to be me. And this is, of course, where we struggle, because I want to be me. I want to be who I am. But I want Jesus also. But the problem is that in this clay pot, there's only 100% capacity. You, can, you cannot put 200%. If the pot contains 5 liters, you can't put 6 liters in a 5-liter pot. And the same is true of us. You cannot have 100% of me and 100% of Jesus. I don't have 200% capacity. I only have 100%. And so how am I going to get more of Jesus? Well, I have to decrease to make room for Him. And the more I decrease, the more He can increase. But I cannot retain my individuality, my control over my life, my whatever, and have all of Jesus. He's only going to take the room that I make for Him. 
And so Paul says, I, uh, John says, I need to decrease. And he doesn't use that word, but I believe that that's quite legitimate, so that he might increase. And the more we're willing to step back, the more he comes forth. Now, you remember as we've spoken about the breaking of those clay pots so that the light can come forth. You remember there was also a woman who came to Jesus and she had this box, alabaster box, with this precious ointment inside. And we, we hear about that ointment. We preach about the ointment. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone preach about the box. We say, well, the box is not important. But that box was an alabaster box. That box was valuable within itself. Today, we still use alabaster to make lamps and ornaments in, in, in houses. It's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful stone. And so the box was precious within itself. But the Scripture says she broke it. And it's only when she broke it that the fragrance came forth. She was able to bless the Lord Jesus, and that fragrance filled the house and was able to bless everyone else. And focus only when we are broken before the Lord that the, that he, the fragrance of the Lord Jesus is able to come forth. You remember the story of the loaves and the fishes? Again, the little boy brings his, his uh, lunch to the Lord Jesus, and Jesus breaks it. And as he breaks it, he's able to feed the multitude. As long as the little boy held on to his lunch, there would have been no miracle, there would have been no blessing, and everybody would have gone home hungry except the little boy. But when he hands it over to the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus takes it and he breaks it. But as he breaks it, he's able to minister to 5,000 people or more, and they're all fed and they're all blessed, and we still preach about that today. And so as long as you're going to keep whatever gift you have, if you're going to try and say, well, I want to hold on to whatever it is that God has given me, it's going to remain just what you have. But when we hand it over to Him, we say, Lord, you take my life, and you break it, and you use it in the way that you choose to do. It's then that He's able to reach out, and He's able to bless others. In John chapter 12, and I'm not going to be much longer. John chapter 12, and verse 24. John 12:24, 12, most assuredly I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it from, for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. He who loves his life will lose it, but he who hates his life will, in this world, will keep it for eternal life. In fact, the discussion in Zimbabwe right now is on self-love. We must love ourselves, some people are saying, because Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, so you've got to learn to love yourself first. But Jesus says, 
we need to hate ourselves. Now, we, we don't believe that we must be, uh, we, we must hate ourselves in that sense. But clearly, in comparison to our love for Him, we must not count ourselves worth anything. That I might gain Him. Remember, Paul says, I've counted everything. My education, my successes in the past, my status in the nation of Israel, I've counted it all as rubbish. Those things which the world esteems, Paul says it's rubbish, that I might gain Christ, that I might gain Christ. And when we understand how glorious He is, when we understand how great God's power is, then we must surely say that what I have is nothing. I need to hate it in the sense of putting it aside and say it's not worth holding on to because I want that which is greater. I want that which is more glorious. I want the Lord Jesus, the fragrance of the Lord Jesus, the light of the Lord Jesus to be revealed in me and through me. And so he says then, as long as you take a seed and you, and you put it on your mantelpiece and say, well, you know, there's my, here's my seed, here's my grain of wheat, that's all you're going to have is this one little seed. And folk, many Christians are just, that's all they are, just one little seed. Because they want to hold on to and treasure that seed. But you have to let go. And say, I'm going to put it in the, I'm going to bury it. What a foolish thing to do. To take that seed and to bury it. Now we know it's not foolish. Because unless we bury that seed and do away with it, it's not going to amount to anything. But when we do that, it sprouts and it brings forth much fruit. And your life and my life will never amount to anything as long as we want to save ourselves. We don't want to give up our time. We don't want to give up our rights. We don't want to give up our positive way of living. We, we want to hold on to all of these things. But when we give them to Him, and he takes them and he breaks them, then it's able to come forth and it's able to uh, amount to much. My last scripture is in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Now, when we are broken before the Lord, and remember that this is, this is not an idea that I've just pulled out of a few scriptures. This is an idea that permeates all of the New Testament. In fact, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uh, preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and there's the Beatitudes, which we know so well. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus establishes the, um, uh, the, the uh, mandate he has for the kingdom. And he begins by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's not a matter of saying, well, you know, who are those who are poor? Because we're all poor. We're all bankrupt before God. So, it's the, the, so the point he's making is not about who's, who is poor, but it is about who recognizes his poverty, recognizes that, in fact, we are nothing, we have nothing. We are without, as he says in Ephesians, we, when we were Gentiles, without God and without hope in this world. But when we recognize our poverty, 
it is then that His riches are able to be made manifest in us. Pastor John and the other South Africans may, uh, I don't know if they ever heard the story, but I, I grew up in the rural area on a farm, and we used to say, they used to have a saying, I don't know if it worked, but if you wanted to, to catch a baboon or a monkey, what you need is you, you have a pumpkin and you make a small hole in there and then uh, what he wants is the seeds inside and then the pumpkin is tied to a, to a, to a stake and, and, and the uh, baboon puts his hand inside and grabs hold of the, uh, of the pips and then he can't get his hand out because the hole is too small. He's got to let go to free himself. But as long as he holds on, he's never going to be free and he's going to be caught. Now, folk, it's the same in our relationship. We, we, we desperately hold on to our integrity, our life, our achievements, our whatever we have. But until you let go, you're never going to be truly free. And so in uh, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 64, very long chapter, Sorry, 44. 44. And he's speaking about the Lord Jesus as the stone. If you go back to verse 42, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Uh, that is the, the rock, the Lord Jesus. And then he says in verse 44, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Very profound verse. If we fall on him, we will be broken. But he says it's better that way. Because if he falls on us, we will be crushed. We will be destroyed. And so my appeal to you this morning is fall upon the Lord Jesus. Say, Lord, I want you to break me. Now that's a hard prayer to pray. And it's one that we need to be careful about praying. Because he will do it. And he may use all sorts of things. Sometimes he may use financial things. Sometimes he may use emotional things or relationships or health. Whatever. He doesn't have to do that. Sometimes he just meets with us. And I remember just before I went to America, um, I had a lot of time. And I would go in the afternoons and go into the mountain. Our house is up against the, the hill, and we have uh, one house between us and the forest. And I would go into the forest and pray. And God met me there over a period of days. And without touching anything of my life, just brought me again to a place. And he brings us to that place from time to time and just broke me. Brought me to a place where I was absolutely aware of my bankruptcy before him my incredible need of him, that without him I could do nothing. I was successful at that time in business. I was successful in ministry. I was preaching all over the world at that time. But God just took me aside. And as I fell upon him, he broke me. But he didn't crush me. And so Paul says we are down, but we're not out. We are down, but we are not out. Because in that process, Christ comes forth. And the life of the Lord Jesus becomes manifest. And as people look at us, they begin to see the Lord Jesus. Now the problem is that as we go along and we live our lives, we begin to say, well, is this not the great Babylon that I have built? 
and we forget it's the Lord. There's a story about the little mouse that needed to cross the canyon in the jungle, and there was a swing bridge going across, and the little mouse, you know, he was just too scared. He said, I, you know, this, this thing shakes, I, I'm not going to... And then the elephant came, and the elephant said, I'm going across. You want to go? And the mouse says, yeah, I do. And the elephant said, well, get on my back. And the little mouse get on, got on the back of the elephant, and they went across the bridge, and the bridge creaked and groaned and swung this way and that way and almost collapsed, and they got to the other side, and the mouse said, we made that bridge shake, didn't we? And we, we get to a place where God begins to use us, and we say, well... We, we made things happen, didn't we? And we forget it was really the Lord. And he has to bring us back to that same place again. And that's Paul's experience. And he says that the Lord has given me this thorn in the flesh. I'm not going to get into the technicalities of that. But the purpose is lest I be exalted above measure. See, he can't use us when we're proud. He can't use us when we're self-sufficient. He can only use us when we're willing to step aside that his glory may be manifest in and through us. Amen.